not, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As I've already mentioned, today marks the, the pinnacle of the Christian calendar. It's the high point of the year in the Christian faith as we celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus. I think most people are familiar with Easter. You've heard about it. You understand it to be a holiday. And I think with that in mind, you understand what it represents and the importance of it. How that Jesus was crucified and buried. And on the Thursday, third day, raised from the dead. And I think that even the significance of that, even if you're not a Christian, is understood for who else have you heard that's raised from the dead. So I think there's a general understanding of Easter and a general understanding of its importance. But today I want to share with you the depth of the hope that this day provides to the believer. The reason why Easter is the pinnacle of the Christian calendar, the reason why it's that high mark of the Christian faith throughout the year, is that it is this day, it is what Christ did on this day, that gives us hope in heaven. And so as a result of that, while we might understand the significance, I want to show today and, and, and speak to you today on the depth of the importance of this hope that we have in heaven. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or concerning those that have died, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep, or those that have died in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, shall not precede them which are dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Continuing into chapter 5. But... Of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Let me pause just for a second here. First, I want you to recognize that as we see this divide between chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul, the man who wrote this letter to the Thessalonian people, he didn't stop and change topics as he went from one chapter to another. So the thought continues. And what Paul is doing as he continues the thought here in chapter 5, it is although he is expecting the question as a follow-up to what he has just wrote there at the end of chapter 4. That as he has written that the Lord will be coming back and that those that are alive and remain will be caught up with him in the air, Paul is expecting the question of when is that going to happen? And so in chapter 5, he is expecting that question and giving us the answer. He says, But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. 
You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and let us be self-controlled. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Listen to this. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as you also do. Last week, we actually looked at the first 12 verses of this fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians here at the church. And as we're picking up this reading, what we're seeing is that over the first 12 verses of the fourth chapter, that we saw Paul encouraging the believer in the Christian life now. But here in verse 13, he begins to encourage the believer in the Christian life that is to come. He begins talking about heaven. And he references that those that have died, those that have fallen asleep in the King James language, those that have died, that they are not left without hope. He said, so therefore do not sorrow over those that have died, for you will see them again. Isn't there a great hope? We heard Sister Brianna's testimony this morning about the hope that we would have at funerals. Why is there a hope that we would have at funerals, but that for those saints that have gone on to be with the Lord, that we would see them again? And so we're not to be left in sorrow as those that have no hope. Why? For we know our hope is in heaven. Now there's a certain thing that I want you to understand about the word hope when it's used in the Bible. When we use the word hope down here, we almost use it like we're making a wish. We say, I hope so. And when we say, I hope so, it's as though there's some uncertainty about whether or not that thing that we're hoping for is going to happen. But when we see the word hope in the Scripture, it carries with it a far greater understanding. It means a confident expectation. Those that have their hope in heaven have a confident expectation and assurance of what awaits them. That's what Paul is going on and speaking about when he's talking about the coming of the Lord. He is determining to encourage the believers here at this church in Thessalonica that they would not be sorrowful over those that have gone before nor fret about how it is that they would see them again or where they would be at, but instead that they would know that when the Lord comes back, that those that are alive would be caught up together in the air with those that have gone on before. It is going to be a great day, a tremendous day, when we see the Lord return. For Jesus Christ has ascended now into the right hand of the Father, but He has left us the promise that He is coming back. Scripture is very clear on this reality that Christ Jesus is coming back. Scripture tells us a little bit about when He's coming. It says that no man knoweth the hour except for the Father. We don't know when He's coming, but only that He's coming quick. And only that He's coming very soon. We see here Paul telling Thessalonians that He's coming as a thief in the night. And what do you know about a thief that comes in the night? A thief, someone that would come and burglarize, they come not at the time that is expected. 
For if you had the expected time, you would wait up all night keeping watch for the thief that would come. We see Paul using a specific reference to this day when he says that they would say peace and safety. You see, if you're reading King James Bible like mine, that the word peace is capitalized. He is referencing the motto of the Roman government that was promising peace and safety. And he said, while they say peace and safety, destruction would come upon them because Jesus returns the thief in the night. Jesus is coming soon. There is a junkyard down in Spencer, Indiana. They have a sign at their junkyard that says, Jesus is coming back. And then it stops and it has a little riddle. And it says, what did the monkey say when he had his tail cut off? You know the answer to that question? It won't be long now. Jesus is coming back and it won't be long now. His return is imminent. And he returns as a thief in the night. That Christ rose from the dead that we mark this day on the Christian calendar. It gives us hope because He now is alive and well and is working for our good at the right hand of the Father. And as our advocates in heaven, He has promised us that He is coming back. He is coming back. Flip over with me just quickly to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. I'll just read one verse here. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. A different author, Peter here, saying the same thing that Paul did. That the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works there that are therein, shall be burned up. This is the destruction that Paul is speaking of. We call it a great and terrible day, the Bible does, of the Lord. For the Lord is returning with great power and with great glory. The Lord is returning with great power as the righteous judge. And He's returning in great glory as the only begotten Son of God. So as we are here today, and as we know that the Lord is alive and well, as He has resurrected and overcome the grave that we mark here on this Easter Sunday, let us be assured that He is coming back. Now for some, that sounds frightening. But Paul has told the believers to comfort themselves with these words. That they would be encouraged, they would be built up, they would be edified. And we ask, how can that be? Why can it be that we would have edification? Why would we have encouragement knowing that the Lord is coming back? Sometimes if you're like me, it seems like you go through life just with the expectation that it will remain that way uninterrupted. Somebody said to me this week something that stopped me in my tracks, that when people today talk about the 1990s, that it's the same as when people in the 1990s talked about the 1960s. I'm a child of the 1990s. That made me feel really old to think about that reality. But we have this tendency to think that we just go through life in an uninterrupted state and that things will just always go as they've always gone. 357 days ago was Easter 2020. I did not stand before a crowd this size 357 days ago. In fact, I stood in this very pulpit and I preached to the back of a cell phone. Obviously, we all are aware why. We are in the midst of a pandemic that really just 
had hit for the first time. We were just beginning to understand it. And for those precautions, we were not meeting in this capacity. Things change. Life does not continue in that uninterrupted state as we would expect it to. So as a result of that, what we are left with is an unsure existence in this life. I want you to look back upon your life this morning. Reflect upon the last week. Reflect upon the last month, the last year, the last ten years, the lifetime that you have had. And you will look, and as you begin to see, you would see milestones where things have changed and impacted you that have brought you to this place today. And whatever those things may be, the one thing that we can be certain of is that things in your life have changed. Haven't they? And in a world where it seems that that change just happens faster and faster, it is good to know that there is one thing that we can be assured of has not changed. For while 357 days ago, I stood before a mostly empty room preaching on the back of a cell phone. The God of today was the same God then that He's always been. And Jesus is as alive today as He was 357 days ago. Because of that, we have hope of deliverance. Paul used the analogy, you may have picked up on it when we were reading, in verse 3 of chapter 5, where he was comparing it to a woman who was with child, a pregnant woman who was travailing, yet they would not escape. I have three children. I was in the room with my wife when all three of those children were born and saw the travail, saw the pain, the, the, the difficulty of that. But the redemption of that was when that child was delivered. Yet here we see Paul saying that there would be those that would be as a woman who is in travail when she is pregnant, yet she would not be delivered. She would just remain in that state talking about the judgment, the righteous judgment of our Lord. You see, when we talk about Jesus, I want you to know that there is something about Him that should cause us to reverence Him. To use the King James word, should cause us to fear Him. For you see, He is meek and He is mild. He is as a lamb, the Bible tells us, who is led before her shears and is dumb would open not their mouth. Yet Scripture also tells us that Jesus is a lion. It tells us that He is as a prevailing lion. As one who we would look at and recognize as King. And so if the Lord is who He says He is, if the Lord is in fact King, then it is important for us to reverence Him as such. For what He did in conquering death and conquering the grave was declare Himself altogether different than any other person that has ever been. I said in my opening remarks, have you ever heard of another who has resurrected from the dead in such a fashion as the one that we have with Christ? I'm not talking about all the the deep webs of the internet where you'll read about weird stories. I'm talking about where there is affirmation of one that is resurrected from the dead. He is the one who has won our hope. 
I want to say a few things about that. Because Paul said to encourage one another, to comfort yourselves together and edify another also, even as you already do. So I want to spend just a few minutes talking about those things. To the believer, may the reality of this hope that we have in, may the reality of our resurrected Savior, may the knowledge that our Redeemer lives be that which would inspire us to live for His glory. Before Jesus was crucified, He told His disciples this. He said that it was expedient for Him to go. He said, because if I go, I will send a comforter with you. And we see that about a week after He was ascended unto the Father, that indeed the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, fell upon the apostles as they were there in that open room. We have a comforter. And He dwells with us. The Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts of His people. God is with His people in the Spirit. And He has chosen the coming together of His people to be His habitation. He has chosen the church to be His dwelling place. So seeing then that we have God in us, may it be that it is not religion that constrains us to live upright in this life, but instead may it be that the knowledge of He who has died for us and who has resurrected for our hope and has given us His Spirit, that the presence of God that dwells within us would be that which inspires us to live upright lives for His glory. There are people at work who know me as a religious person. And I think a lot of times people hear that word religion or religious and they get the eebie-jeebies about it. Makes them uncomfortable. But listen to me, my friends, today. When we talk about religion, religion is not some set of rules in which you try to govern your life when it's known rightly. But instead it is to know that God dwells with you. And when God dwells with you, your desire is that you would live for His glory. So Christian today, if God abides in your heart, may that constrain us to live for His glory every day. To skeptics today, there may be some of you today who are here because it's Easter, but you're just a little bit skeptical. Maybe you're a lot of bit skeptical, I don't know. I want you to know first and foremost that I'm not mad at you for that. I'm not mad at you for being skeptical. I'm grateful that you want to understand whether or not these things that we speak of are true. So those who are skeptical, can I appeal to your logic just for a minute? We've read today from the Scriptures, the oldest manuscripts of the Scriptures date back to hundreds of years before Christ was born. About 2,500 years dates the oldest manuscript of the Scriptures. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's an awfully old manuscript. It predates even the oldest manuscripts that philosophers have found, or that have been found of philosophers. So seeing then that we have this word that has been carried about and has been believed upon generation after generation, And those skeptics have arose time and time again and generation after generation, yet we still see these Scriptures standing today. So if you're skeptical today, I want to ask you just by appealing to your logic, perhaps they are worth considering. Seeing that they have existed now all this time. And skeptics have arisen before and will arise
arise after and generation after generation has beat upon it, yet His Word still stands. So perhaps it's worth your consideration. Let me appeal to your logic in another way. Consider the nature of the Scriptures. How it is that they have prophesied for hundreds of years about the coming of Christ. And we see in Christ and His coming fulfilled every jot and tittle, dotted every I and crossed every T of prophecy. In fact, today as we celebrate Easter and celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the grave on the third day, did you know that there was a prophet, his name was Hosea, and he prophesied 700 plus years before Christ that Jesus would be resurrected just as he was. In fact, he said this, he said, he will revive us, this is the prophet Hosea writing, he will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. And He did exactly that. So perhaps you're skeptical. But what we know of these writings is they've been proven out. They've been determined by historians as being affirmed. And 700 plus years before Jesus was even born into the world and took on flesh, the prophecies were recorded that He would be resurrected on the third day. Let me appeal to your logic in one final way. Jesus lived for 33 years. The final three years of his life roughly were spent in his public ministry in which he called 12 disciples. Historians have affirmed the existence, the life of Jesus. Historians have affirmed the life of these disciples. Jesus called 12 ordinary men. As I look around the room today, the disciples weren't unlike any one of you. Just ordinary folks. That's what we are, ain't it? We're just ordinary folks. And he called 12 ordinary guys as his disciples to follow him. And those 12 ordinary guys have completely altered history. 2,000 years later, Millions of people across the world are gathering for the same reason we are today because of what those men did 2,000 years ago. If I can appeal to your logic skeptic this morning, and again, I'm not mad at you for being skeptical, but what I want to encourage you today is to consider whether these things are true for the substance, for the nature of them, before you would even have to consider the doctrinal accuracy of them. But let me tell you today, skeptic, God is exactly who He has said that He is. I have tried it. I have tested it. I have come to this belief and have found it to be true. Not by some just this form of absent-minded belief or blind faith. I have come to know it to be true because I have tested it and I've tried it and He has proven Himself to be true time and time and time again. And so seeing this, we have a God who is open to all that would come before Him. We've been told, as we were studying in Sunday school this morning, that we have bold access to the throne of grace. Skeptic this morning, I want you to know that you can bring all your skepticism to the Lord. God knows your heart already. You don't have to be shy or afraid of it, but you can bring it before the Lord and lay it all out in front of Him. And you can find for yourself whether or not the God of the universe is who He says He is.
And I encourage you to do that this morning. I am confident that you will find God to be true every time. To unbelievers, maybe you're not a skeptic, but maybe you just never come to know the Lord Jesus. You've, you've never found a Christ. You've never been saved. I want you to know that this hope that we have in heaven is extended for your benefit today. It is available to you, this hope. God has not somehow become slack concerning His promise, Scripture tells us. He's not somehow turned away His ear that He can't hear or somehow grown so old or, or so ancient that He can't be able to hear you and answer you. Listen to me today, my friend. God is timeless. And so as a result of that, He is the same as He has always been. And Scripture tells us that He is long-suffering. The reason why the Lord has not returned yet, as we talked about already today, the reason why He's not returned is that He is being patient. And He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. So this morning, those that are lost, let me encourage you that Christ not died not only for your sins and for my sins, but He died that the whole world might be saved. They would come to believe upon Him. A dying man, a righteous man, died to defeat sin. But that man resurrecting from the dead is what defeated the punishment of sin. Paul wrote in the first book of Corinthians that the sting of death is sin. What he meant by that was that the wages of sin is death. That because of sin, we die. That's the wages of sin. Yet Jesus conquered those wages. We still die, but on our death we enter into eternal life. You see, He has borne our sins and our sorrows, but being resurrected from the dead, He conquered the very punishment for our sins. He defeated it. My friends today, for the believer, there is no worry in death. Why? Because we know it only to be, as a preacher one time said, we know it only to be a convenient place to wait for the resurrection. Why? (laughs) Because we know that our hope is in heaven. We're anchored there. We are citizens of a better country. It is as though we are made to be pilgrims or travelers down here. Those who are on a trip and just passing through on their way to somewhere far better. My in-laws live down in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and from time to time we'll be driving down there, and we go through the state of Kentucky, we're just travelers passing through. So are we in this life. We're just passing through on our way to a better country. So unbeliever, Seeing that God has carried out His wrath for sin against His only begotten Son, and seeing that the punishment of that sin has been conquered, while we know that that the sting of sin is death, what we see in Christ, as Paul told the, the Corinthians, is this, that death has no more sting, and grave has no more victory. It has been overwhelmed, it has been conquered, it has been defeated, it has been swallowed up. To use the King James language, the grave has been swallowed up in victory through the Lord Jesus. There's an old spiritual song that sings, there is no grave that can hold us down. Aren't you glad of that? 
The resurrection has made dying merely the beginning of life for the believer. To those of you that have no testimony of salvation, I want to recommend Jesus to you. He has paid it all. He has paid for your sins. There is nothing left to be done but that you would repent and believe the Gospel. Salvation is free. It won't cost you a dime. <laughs> that wonderful? I can't even drive down the highway and cross the river into Kentucky without it costing me $2. But salvation is free. <laughs> it's a gift. It's an unmerited gift. There is no good that you can do to earn it. It is available only by grace. So unbeliever, I want to recommend to you, Jesus, that you would place your faith in Him and your trust in Him. Turn away from your life as it is and trust Jesus. And He will save you. He will save you. Finally, to all of us, believer, unbeliever, skeptic, all of us, as I've already said 357 days ago, it was Easter 2020, and it was a lot different than this one. I'm thankful that this one's a lot different than the last one, aren't you? I am. But as we see that this constant has remained in the Lord, what I want to encourage you in is this that His love, His mercy, His grace, it never fails. Not one time over the course of this last year has the Lord one time been surprised by anything. Not one time has He failed or has He faltered. Not one time has He proven Himself unfaithful or unloyal. But time and time and time again, He has proven Himself to be true. He is not weak. He is not challenged by that which we come across in this life. He is not found unreliable. Life will continue to change, but the Lord will not. Whatever it is that you are going through in life, I know well that life sometimes can just about get the best of you. It can just about overwhelm you. Sometimes you venture out thinking that you have all the plans laid out before you and that you just have life by the tail, as my grandma used to say. Seems like you just got it all together. You got it all figured out. And you venture out on your own and suddenly you realize you're wrong. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. But listen to me today. The Lord knows all about your life. As we heard in Sunday school, He knows even the innermost, darkest secrets that you carry with you. He knows your greatest accomplishments and He knows your greatest failures. Yet He loves you anyway. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? He loves you knowing not only what you've done, He loves you knowing what you'll do. Yet His love has compelled Him to the cross where He would pay the debt, where He would bear the wrath of God for your sins. My friends today, there is hope in heaven because Jesus is alive. He has conquered the grave. He has borne your sins to Calvary. And today, He has paid it all. 
that you might come to Him and find life. And find life like you've never experienced it. Life that is filled with joy and love. Yes, there's going to be still bad times in the life of the believer, but what you will find is perseverance and constantness and consistency, knowing that the Lord is who He says He is every time. There is hope in heaven because of who Jesus is. That's why we celebrate today. Because He's alive. He's alive. My wife sang a song earlier and said that. She said it a lot in a way that sounded a lot better and a lot shorter than I did, didn't I? But the Lord is alive. And for that reason, we have hope. Believer, I want you to be encouraged today by these words. The Lord has not forgotten you. You're not too far from Him. Maybe you're back in church today for the first time in a long time. Maybe you've been drifting out on your own for a long time. The Lord knows that. In fact, Jesus Christ Himself one time told an account about a person who did the very same thing. Yet when He went out on His own and found life to be so much to bear, He brought Himself back. And what did He find? A father with waiting and open arms. And so it is today for you. Listen to me, believer. Maybe you have found yourself to just be out in the world. You don't go to church like you should or like you know you should or all these different things. You can come back to the Lord. His love remains extended unto you. Skeptic, you can try Him. Heard a poem one time about a blacksmith who would shape and form different pieces of metal against an anvil. And he had an anvil and he would take pieces of metal with a hammer and he would just beat that metal, get it blazing red hot and just beat it in the shape that he was trying to make it. And a man one time came and saw what he was doing and he said, Sir, I guess seeing how long that you've done that, you must have gone through many anvils. And the man said, No, sir. He said, I've gone through many hammers, but only the anvil remains. So it is with the Lord. You can try Him. You can test Him. You can take that hammer up against a piece of metal on that anvil and you will see time and time again that that anvil is true. That God is true. Skeptic today, I invite you to come and test it. Try the Lord. He will not fail. Unbeliever today, Jesus Christ died for you. He paid a debt that He did not owe. He gave Himself a sacrifice that He was not making for Himself, but He was making it for you. He was resurrected on the third day to win your justification. That not only is it... Listen to this. This is the best part of Easter. Not only is it that for the believer that we have hope in heaven... Not only is it for the believer that we have a relationship with Christ, but not only is it for the believer that we're saved from hell, but God treats us as righteous. Isn't that incredible? I don't know about you, but I'm not righteous at all. I'm imperfect on my best day. I make a mess out of things. There is nothing good in me. But God treats me as righteous because of what His Son has done. (laughs) And I can't get over that fact. 
I can't rise above it. It's the highest level of, of thought that I've ever been able to achieve. That God treats me as righteous even when I'm not. <laughs> Lost friend today, there is nothing good about you either. You're probably a better person by the world's standards than I am. But you still don't achieve that perfect standing of righteousness that Jesus has. But you too can be declared righteous by the blood of Jesus. So today I recommend Him to you. I recommend to you Jesus. I recommend to you the hope of heaven. I recommend to you the hope of today. It's Jesus. We can get a song. I want to extend to you an invitation today. Believer, skeptic, unbeliever, whatever your case. Scripture has told us that if we draw nigh unto the Lord, that He will draw nigh unto us. It says He's not far from any one of us, but He is near us. Scripture tells us that it is in the Lord that we live and move and have our being. Do you know God's not far from you today? It doesn't matter if you are in church for the very first time or if you're here for the thousandth time. God's not far from you. How incredible! Because it's not about your deeds. It's not about your works. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good Jesus is. And so today, friend... If you feel the drawing of God, I encourage you to surrender yourself to that drawing. If you feel God in ways that you've not felt Him before, seek after Him. He's not far from you. You can go to Him in prayer, desiring that you would come to know Him and to find Him. My friends today, it is not something where it's some mysticism, where it's some far out idea that God will be far from you. But instead you come to know Him because His Spirit is real. That Spirit that I talked about a little earlier, that Comforter, it dwells within us. It dwells among us. And seeing that it dwells among us, my friend, when you feel the Spirit drawing you, you can go to Him. Isn't that incredible? It is a religion, it is a spirit that is felt and known and realized to be true when you experience it. I want you to know today, Faith Church believes salvation to be an experience between someone and God alone. What's that mean? It means that you don't have to count on me for salvation. You don't have to count on those around you for salvation. You yourself can come before the Lord. You yourself can come and try Him. You yourself can come before Him and place your trust in Him and turn away from your life and turn to Jesus. And you can be saved not because of any work of any man, but because of an experience that you would have with Him. It's an experience. It's not baptism that saves. It's not a formality of going up and making some big declaration. It's an experience that an unbeliever has with God on their own. And you know what Baptist people have said all these years about that experience? They've said this, that it's better felt than told. 
And so you asked me today, Derek, how do you know about this? How do you know these things to be true? I've experienced it. (laughs) Today I can tell you a lot about things I've experienced in my life. And you might come to have some level of understanding about them. But until you've experienced them for yourselves, you only have a small idea. Let me tell this and I'll try to hush. About 10 years ago, I went to Mount Rushmore. I'd seen Mount Rushmore all my life in pictures, all my life in pictures. Had an idea what it looked like. I got out of that car, went up to see Mount Rushmore. I was expecting to be overwhelmed by what I saw. You know what I saw? It looked just like the picture. Looked just like it. But I had to experience it to know that. Today, my friend, there is an experience that you can have that's unlike any other experience you'll ever have. It's one that if you meet somebody that's had that experience, it's almost like they can't shut up about it. Why? Because it has changed their life. Today, I'm going to stop. We're going to stay together. We're going to sing. But if you feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit of God upon you in some way, I want you to know this bench right here is purposed as a very convenient place for you to come and draw closer to the Lord. So if you feel the drawing of the Lord as we stand and as we sing, page 235 in the blue book, page 2.